truth is truth. And all these last few years, when we started hearing more and more about fake news, it's very disturbing in our lives. It's disturbing for democracy, for human rights indeed. But justice is something we all have to look and support all over the world. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. I have a wonderful guest today. It's actually a little bit of a dream come true to have her on my podcast. I am talking to a lady who is a multiple award winning journalist and a broadcaster in the Middle East and in the UK. She's a columnist uh, in the Arab news. She is so, so many more things and we're going to find out more about her as we are talking. I want to welcome Baria Alamudin to my podcast. Thank you so much for being with me today. It's my pleasure and it was wonderful to meet you at the Creative Women Conference in Cyprus. Uh, Cyprus is a place that's very close to my heart. Uh, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about all your places that are close to your heart. I want to start with this. When I came to Cyprus the first time as a very young tour guide in 1982, I had no idea where Cyprus was and I didn't know how close Cyprus was to Lebanon. And it was during the times, some of the worst times of the civil war, because the airport in Beirut was closed and there were boats going from Larnaca to Junie because Middle East Airlines had uh, stationed some of their planes in Larnaca. And that's the first time that I started understanding about Lebanon and I started meeting people from Lebanon because a lot of them had come to live in Cyprus. And I admired those people. I admired the women because they were so beautiful and elegant. And I admired the people, how they were knowing what was going on at home and how strong they were. And I want to ask you, Baria, how did you uh, go through these times? Were you in Beirut in the 80s? Yes, we were in Beirut. As a matter of fact, uh, I um, yes, Cyprus is our neighbor. It's almost our backyard, be it uh, by sea, not air. And uh, Lebanon is one of those very, very special places. It's not only because it's my country, but it's a small place. And we're very lucky in Lebanon, I think, as you know, we have all kinds of religions. Uh, we have all sects of Christianity, Islam, and indeed other religions. We have ethnic groups, many ethnic groups, Armenians. We have Kurds. We have so many. I don't want to go through them now. And, and the gist of the population are just fun-loving people, most of the population. Uh, they get along quite well. Of course, we had wars, we had disturbances and conflict. It's mostly from the outside world more than it's really from the Lebanese, if you ask me. We in Lebanon, are uh, most people speak many of two at least languages. Um, we are very well known for our um, nightlife. We are known for our food, our dance. Our And thank you for what you said about the woman. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very proud to be a Lebanese woman in every aspect of the world. Unfortunately for Lebanon is we have really bad neighbors. Uh, we have Syria on one side that has huge conflict. We have Israel that claims other people's land, unfortunately. And the, the day I left Lebanon, uh, during the civil war we left, we lived in Paris for a while. 
and my husband, who is a travel agent, by the way, that, that's how I mostly travel the world as well, it, it was, was stationed between Paris and, and Dubai. Only in 1982, when Israel invaded Lebanon and they arrived to Beirut, that we actually left Lebanon via Cyprus to come to London. And since 82, we settled in England and we have been living here and the British people have been more than kind and nice to us. Uh, my children got educated here and the boys had already graduated, my stepsons, uh, Ziad and Samer, but my girls came and, and they went to the Lycée Francais as you know they were French educated and then moved on into the system. So... Uh, Yes, Cyprus is special. Uh, and Lebanon is special. I go a lot. I mean, it's a 20 minutes flight, as you know, and um, whenever. Yes. And I miss it so much because we haven't been able, like you, like nobody during this COVID situation, nobody has been able to go anywhere. You know, and it's a, it's amazing that like it's 20 minutes, but you can't go. I have a lot of friends there and I can't wait to go. The first trip that I will go on is going to Switzerland to see my kids. But the second one is, Deb is definitely Lebanon. It's, it's sad because now we have, uh, for the first ever time in Lebanon, we have poverty. We have really the politicians. We have very bad set of politicians, a lot of corruption. And of course, we have Hezbollah, who's a great ally and a proxy of Iran. And uh, for me, this is not patriotic because your, your allegiance should be only to your country and to your nation, but definitely not to another country. So we have huge problems. And of course, we have, as I said, bad neighbors in Syria and Israel. Israel always claims to have... Uh, you know, say in our politics and, and our and they can wage war anytime they want. And as we speak, as you know, they yes. are striking on Gaza and, and Jerusalem. I know, I know, Allah, I read it this morning. It is a sad situation. But um, I want to go back to Beirut. I, you were mentioning food. Uh, just another thing that always makes me laugh because you were mentioning languages. I think when you hear somebody speak three languages in one phrase, which is usually Arabic, French and English, then you can, you can know that these people are from Lebanon. It always makes me laugh. I think it's so sweet. It comes natural, I can yes, tell you that. I don't think many people try to do it. It comes natural. I'm, I'm sorry I'm mentioning all these things, the wars, etc. I shouldn't uh, really... No, but it's part of the... It's, part, it's a fact. And I understand it's how you feel. Yeah, you I, know? I feel very strongly about justice in the world and the well, truth. That's another thing that I want to get to because you are you do a lot of for women's rights. But I want to go back. I want to go back. You studied at the at the American University of Beirut, didn't you? Yes, one of the best universities in the world. So, and right. one, some of the best years of my life. Yes, indeed. How did you decide did you decide to become a journalist? I really wanted to be a lawyer at the beginning because since I was a child, we had the Palestinian issue and I could see the injustice of somebody occupying somebody else's land. And I was obsessed with justice. Justice and truth were always things that I wanted. And I thought being a lawyer will help me find justice and truth. Unfortunately, because all my friends, most of them went to the American University and you couldn't study. There is no law uh, faculty in, in, in the American University. So I, I gave it up and I did political science and mass communication. And I immediately wanted to be a 
journalist because I thought journalism is the closest thing that will help me uh, try and write things that will bring justice and indeed write the truth that would reach us, will, will tell the world what is the truth of any situation. I don't think in the world there is, uh, there is, there should be truth for some and, and fake news to others. Truth is truth. And all these last few years, when we started hearing more and more about fake news, I find it it's very disturbing in our lives. It's disturbing for democracy, for human rights indeed. But justice, justice is something we all all have to look and support all over the world, not only in my part of the world. Yeah, and we have to stop looking away. You know, we have, if you see something, say something. I mean, that's because I think that's the biggest problem of the world to just look away when you see. But when it you doesn't see, go if you look away. The of course not. And, and it's unfortunately, it's somehow I feel that people have become immune uh, to all the deaths, to all the injustices around the world that we don't see them, they're not, they don't, they don't bother us. I remember uh, as a student at, at the American University of Beirut and, and, and even before in high school, how we always went out on demonstrations to stand for justice anywhere in the world, not only for the Palestinians in, in our area. But now, unfortunately, our area is full of injustices. Uh, as you know, we have the problems in Lebanon, as I said, in Yemen, we have Iraq, we have... Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't help when other countries try to take over other countries or dominate them, or why can't we all live in peace mm. and, and each love our own people and, and work for development? around the world and women's rights and human rights all everybody not only women women and men yeah absolutely i mean this is there is enough for all of us if you yes. know if we wanted yes. to this is a big big thing but unfortunately their greed is one of the biggest problems greek and yeah, power greek, power also power and greed power. are the biggest issues yeah. Yeah. so baria i know that there is one trip that you went on you went to India how did you get to India I mean you were the last person interviewing Indira Gandhi but how did you actually go on that trip what did you do yeah well uh, it's a very interesting trip that trip because my husband as I told you who was uh, a travel agent he was the vice president of something called UFTA Universal Federation of Travel Agents which is a UN body so we had a conference there and it was hosted by British Airways. So we went, I went with him and, and since I knew we would be going, you know, like a year ahead, I started trying to get to interview Indira Gandhi and I knew I wanted to try any, many other aspects of Indian life. I was always fascinated by the Indian culture which is very versatile and very fast, of course. So I tried everything in the book as a journalist. I tried to, at the time, our prime minister, uh, Dr. Salim al who is a very close friend of ours, wrote to the prime minister. I had other friends who knew her, write her, etc. So I had great hopes, but I hadn't heard positively until we arrived there. So I called the, 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 the number I had for the, her office and her office said, Oh, Mrs. Gandhi is very sorry. It's election time and she's quite busy. However, we have uh, organized an interview for you with the foreign minister. In India, there are many state ministers, but the cabinet ministers are also quite huge, a huge country. 
So I said, thank you very much, but I have no interest in seeing the, the, the foreign minister. I want to see Mrs. Gandhi. And, and, uh, and they said, oh, and you have a book as a present from Mrs. Gandhi. It was a book about India. So I thought, oh my God, here I am. I'm here. I have to start working from here and see what I can do. So we had a very nice Lebanese ambassador there. He tried nothing succeeding. I wrote to other few friends who knew her well as well. Nothing happening until the very last night that we had in India. And then the next day we were going to Taj Mahal as a group. And then we would board the plane in the evening to come back to London. Well, guess what? The last night next sitting next to me was somebody called Muhammad Yunus, who was a very close friend of Indira Gandhi. That night was Diwali night, which is the new year of the Indian mm-hmm. people. And he's, we talked, uh, he, he said, how? And I was telling him about Mrs. Gandhi, about her father, Nehru. It's a, he, said, he said, how come you know so much about Mrs. Gandhi and her father? I said, oh, I'm fascinated by her. This is an unbelievably amazing woman. She is the head of this biggest democracy in the world. And I tried to interview her, et cetera. Et cetera. And I think the guy felt how passionate I was and how disappointed, how devastated I was. So I said, look, I'm actually now leaving here and I'm going to see Mrs. Gandhi. I'm going to her to her house. I said, what? So I was like, really? So anyway, to cut a long story short, he was able to get me an appointment and I was put on the plane with her to go to uh, Orissa State where she was electioneering and I spent the last two days of her life with her. That woman changed my life because also, you know, she told me I was a kid and I, I remember thinking, oh my God, this is so grand. Uh, but of course, nothing as grand as Queens or as, you know, things like that. This is India, it's poor. Uh, I, I think she was the grandest woman I've ever met in my entire life. Her passion to her people, the love she had, the respect she had, her, her dedication to her father's memory, to uh, Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi, who was her uncle, uncle uh, uh, because he was the closest friend of her father. Uh, really, I, I learned a lot from her for two days. I shadowed her everywhere she went. She said, why do you why do you wake up early in the morning to see what I'm doing and shadow me? And I mean, in my mind, I said, are you serious? And, and that, that interview was actually scheduled for the very famous actor. Um, uh, oh, God, what's his name? Uh, now, I, it will come to me. And, and unfortunately, uh, you know, he, he didn't get it. He's, God bless his soul, he's dead now. But Peter Ustinov. Okay. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, he's an unbelievably fine, nice guy. Uh, he made me laugh all the time we were together. And she took us with her everywhere she, she, she went. It was fascinating, really fascinating. How amazing. And, you know, I've been to India. And when you mentioned the state of Orissa, I remember I've been to Bhubaneswar and to Puri and Konarak. And there are places, India is a country, if you haven't visited it, you have no idea what it is. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I didn't know there were operations. We went to a very remote area and I remember sitting behind her. Can you imagine this woman that were at least probably, I don't know, from the plane, we could see uh, all these Indian uh, Indian people. 
they they estimated about a million, but a oh million for India is not really no. something. <laughs> but with all that, Indira looked back at me and and Peter Yustinov, who were seated in the tent with her, and that uh, like a pergola, and she said to us, "Would would you like to use the?" the bathroom would you like to so she she i i found this great woman of india you know finding a time to look at every detail of the trip or the people that were with her she she gifted me a, a kashmiri carpet she gifted me a, a cotton simple uh sari which i still have Honestly, well, uh, she was being human. She was being, you know, amazing, amazing yes. woman, amazing yeah. woman. Yeah, how amazing that must have. I, I, and I understand that this had a, a huge impact on your life, and especially then knowing after you got back to London that she had been assassinated. You must have been shocked. I was more than shocked, and and uh, I, I was also very grateful and touched by the authorities when we get to got to to London that they allowed my husband to get inside uh, to passport control almost just to tell me because the whole world press was waiting outside for me as I had the the last voice recording the last picture and so they allowed him to tell me because he knew that we had like I was like a little kid she was treating me like a you know granddaughter or something and she she took care of me and um, he wanted he knew I, I I had developed this attachment so he went in and told me look the whole world press is outside everybody wants an interview everybody wants you to share the pictures or buy the pictures or the voice recording so she, she was really my first touch with world fame she put me on the map that's amazing and I like the fact that you insisted and you didn't give up. And I was just remembering now, I wanted to speak to you and I didn't give up. And I want to thank publicly Farah Shamas, our common friend, to get us together. Because, you know, that's when you get something, when you don't give up. No, absolutely never, never. What's give up? It's not yeah. in our dictionary. No, it? no, I totally agree with you. And that's why I love so much speaking to you now. So, Coming after in another story that I know about you and that I want to talk to you about is your interview with Archbishop Makarios, our first president here in Cyprus. You got an interview while the world press did not. How did that happen? Yeah, I mean, you know, I I, I I, think I don't like courage. So I was we were in this meeting and, you know, as I told you, the proximity of Cyprus to Lebanon, uh, is well documented, and and uh, the editor said we need somebody to go. Makarios had disappeared. Also, there was uh, this Palestinian uh, fighter, uh, you know, freedom fighter that was missing in Cyprus. That they wanted uh, also an interview with them. So I said I can do it, and I was like seventeen or something. And they said, and and everybody looked at me like, who does she think herself she is? But the editor knew uh, that I, you know, I could pull it and I will try and pull it. So he said, no, no, I think Barry, I can do it because also my English uh, at, at the time was better than few of my colleagues and not really many people thought that they can pull it because everybody, the whole world press was uh, staying at the Ledra Palace 
and waiting to be to the, like you're talking about huge Reuters, UP, everybody was, was there. And so who's this little girl? So I remember going and buying a black dress and I had, uh, you know, braided my, my hair because it was big and it was long and I wanted to look professional. And what I did basically was go to this, um, to the office of the, the Ministry of Information and sit there at, at the office outside the, the, the main guy's office and, and uh, stay there. And every single day they would go to, my colleagues would wake up at 11, 12, go to the bar, start eating and drinking. And I would be like at 7 38 outside the, the office of, of, of the offices. And then one day this guy came to me and he said, Don't you think you should go to the to the hotel and enjoy yourself with your friends? And I said, they were all much older than me anyway, most of my colleagues at the time. I said, No, no, I, I want to see Archbishop Macarius, and I know you can get me to him because there is no other way. And uh, I think you understand the friendship between Lebanon and, and Cyprus. And also you have to understand that I, I personally am very fond of, of uh, Makarios and I appreciate what he's doing. So I talked to him. So two days, I, I think I went two days and then he had this conversation with me. And then the second day he came to me, he said, well, young lady, now you are going to see President Makarios. And I, I thought he was joking with me. He's probably taking me for a drive or something. Come with me, come with me. And I said, but I will not go without a photographer. He said, don't worry. I said, I have to prove to my colleagues, to the world that, you know, that I am with him. So anyway, he said, don't worry, there is a photographer there. We, we will go. So we went, we drove. And then at a certain point, we had to change cars. Finally, we got to the presidential palace and he put me in that room. And, uh, you know, and then I was hearing noises of people talking. <laughs> and I was put there for a couple of hours. And then I started moving rooms, one room at a time, one room, one room. And then finally, I found myself in the room where all these people there, there were ministers, there was this guy and everybody when they looked at me they were laughing they were saying oh my god and and this and the guy told them my story and they said no no don't worry that the president will see you it's just that you know we're trying to arrange for the pictures etc so anyway i got in i talked to makarios we took the picture and i said uh, and then the guy said okay we can't give you the interview per se because he has no time uh but you give us the question and answer, and then we will give us the questions. We'll send you the answers. I said, I never, ever do this in my life. <laughs> uh, I cannot do this. So I was talking to Makarios. So I asked him a few questions, and I thought, that's about right. So I left. I, you know, they insisted on taking me out. And Makarios insisted on me staying. We were talking about the olives. We were talking about uh, all sorts of normal, natural things. How is he feeling? How does he feel that he wants to tell the world? There was an attempted a coup, actually, mm -hmm. not attempted coup. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I thought I have enough and then I will get the rest of the, the, the questions. So I left. And I insisted on going with the photographer. I went to the photographer's house where he worked. At that time, you couldn't have, the, you developed the pictures with water and a dark room. Yes. And I don't know what. So I insisted <laughs> that I will wait until I got my pictures. By the time I got to the hotel, my colleagues, it was early, late afternoon, actually, early evening. Uh, they were mostly happily 
partly drunk, so they, they couldn't believe when I showed them the pictures. No, this cannot be true. And I was still wearing the same dress with my hair <laughs> and everything. So, and it went viral around the world, that picture. And also it went viral that the story that he's alive and that and I, I exchanged. Now, the second day I was supposed to travel with my answers and I was driven by them. They were very nice to me. They have, you know, they gave me a car to drive me and take me to the, but I wouldn't board the plane without getting my answers. So they actually delayed the plane a little bit <laughs> until I got my answers. And then I left and it was a big story in my life. And I got married in Cyprus as well. Did so, you? Yes, because I wanted civil marriage. I okay. did and in Lebanon yes. at that time, as I think up till still, today. Still, you know. still the same. Yeah. Yes. So I, I really didn't want to get married religious in a religious. That way. is so amazing. But I, I'm understanding something about you. You are stubborn and you don't give up until it's done. You are maybe <laughs> stubbornness is not the right. You are persistent. I'm only stubborn with my work. Though. You're stubborn in I'm a good way. My loved ones. I'm fairly flexible. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love the the energy because this is how you get things done. So. Now, coming back to the title of my podcast, Most Memorable Journeys, what is, if you could think now, what would be your most memorable journey in your life? Ooh, (laughs) I I fought many battles in my time, mostly, again, about justice. But I think the most memorable journey is my marriage and my children, my grandchildren now, because um, I cannot begin to explain explain to you the joy and honor and uh, also um, pride I have in my children, four of them. Uh, the elder one is Ziad uh, and then Samer and then Tala and then Amal. I'm the luckiest woman on earth when it comes to my family. Also, I, I have the most amazing because my mom died when we were young and my brother and my sister sort of took care of me, my brother Akram Miknas and my sister Amal, because we were, I I, I was the youngest and I was nine and a half years old. And and so this, this is, these are the most precious people in my life. And of course, their children as well. I'm very lucky, very, very lucky uh, with my friends. I have the most amazing, amazing, seriously, amazing friends. And and uh, my, my work sometimes gives me the chance to meet people that actually become your friends and stay friends. But of course, most of them, they don't. Um, I'm not specifically fond of many politicians. So <laughs> I specialized in, in, in interviewing politicians. And uh, yeah. yeah, I did women as well a little bit, but mostly politicians. Who was your worst? In- no, I, maybe that's, that's not a good question, but I'll ask it anyway. Who was your worst interview partner ever? No, you can't say that. That is, that's that's too, that's the that's the wrong I, I can tell you. I can tell you an interview that, that actually I was there and we took the pictures and drank the champagne, but I did not do it. It was with uh, an ex president of the Philippines. Uh, he he was an actor. What's his name now? Um, wait, it will come to me now. And uh, I went there and he I felt he wasn't serious enough. Uh, it was very nice. The interview was at five. And then um, he said, 
glass of champagne. I said, I'll have tea. And then he insisted, no, it has to be champagne. I said, fine, I like champagne. <laughs> and then we we had champagne and then another champagne. And I said, that's it. As far as I'm concerned, you know, I'm either doing the interview or I'm not doing the interview. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, and there were other people in the room and it wasn't like we're alone or anything. And I, he said, why don't you stay to dinner? I said, unfortunately, I, even if I want to do, I can't because a friend has hosted a big uh, dinner. He said, "Oh, we'll get them. We'll get them all here." And I said, uh, "No, I, I would not." Estrada, President Estrada. Oh yes. I yeah. said, "No, I'm sorry. I, I I will not do that." So I don't know if it's the worst. It just didn't happen. But you didn't. You didn't feel that he was taking you a hundred percent seriously in a way. He was. I, I just didn't like the atmosphere. Yeah, to be with yeah. And also, I I've been with 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 politicians. And I don't want to mention another name, but also in the Philippines it happened that I didn't know they knew their subject well. Mm-hmm. And and although sometimes they ask you what you want to ask, I never send questions. I say yes, I want to talk about the big subject. So the the, the, the you know the, the problems in, in Mindanao. I want to talk about relations with the Arab states. I want to talk about human rights. I want to you know what I mean. So you send the big broader aspects of the interview but I, I don't send questions yeah I, I remember agree. yeah but uh, no, you, you know I've, I've met some amazing people I mean, I mean like uh, the, the interview for example the first interview ever with Benazir Bhutto as, as a prime minister as well was fascinating she's and then we went on to become really good friends and and uh unfortunately she was assassinated yeah. and what uh, was she like she uh, she's a, a woman that i admire was she a a, a kind woman was she similar similar to indira gandhi was she what was she like <laughs> Her ideal was Indira Gandhi, of course. I mean, many, many women I know, uh, especially in the Far East, uh, they, and, and they, they think of Indira Gandhi as the ultimate because I also interviewed the Prime Minister of Bangladesh. I interviewed the Sri Lankan. Indira, Indira uh, and Benazir have similarities. They're, they're both very well educated. Okay. They both have a, a political background. Very, very strong women, both of them. But I got the chance to know Benazir more, so it's not fair. So Benazir is quite funny. Benazir mm-hmm. is fun to be with. I Also, Benazir was a happier person in general than uh, Indira. I felt Indira had a lot of of sadness in her eyes. And yeah, her, I think it showed in her yeah. eyes a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned human rights before and your daughter Amal Amal Clooney is a human rights lawyer and defender do you think that the fact that Baria Alamuddin is her mother has something to do with that <laughs> well, I, I tell you what Indira Gandhi told me about her son, Rajiv, who was a pilot at the time. Uh, she said to me, because I asked her, because the, her other son, of course, was killed in the, the crash, who was her favorite and who was really the one that should have followed in her footsteps. She said the fact that he had lived in a house of politics and politicians with his grandfather, with, with me, with, with all that... Is, is, it must have affected him, you know. It's like the, this bug that you get. Uh, I think my children are all aware um, that we, uh, me and their father, care a lot about justice and human rights in the world. 
but I must say Amal surpassed us all and, yes. and, uh, and I, I'm extremely proud of what she does. We, we should have hundreds of thousands of Amals. We have some, of course, but uh, we, we, need, we need a lot more because the state of human rights in the world is zero minus. It's a very sad state of affairs that we live in, unfortunately. So yeah, of course, I'm extremely proud. And, and I hope, I hope she, she did learn. She, she said in one of her speeches that I'm uh, her ideal. So I don't know. Beautiful. <laughs> no, I, 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 I mean, me. it, it, I it goes without uh, saying, because having you as a mother, you just have to, it, it was, it had, yeah. to, it had to happen. Well, I, I think also she mentioned that she she probably learned from me the way she manages time or or you know you manage time. It's very difficult for for people who are busy who have who sets their self, themselves missions in life to really find a lot of time to do things. And I'm I'm sure you're aware that in our part of the world. And I also want to have time for my friends, for my brothers, sister, my nephews, my nieces, my children, my husband. I want to be the best of wives. I want to be the best of... So, it, you know, you set the bar high and it becomes difficult. So management of time is of the utmost importance, in my opinion. And, and we working women like you, I'm sure you realize that without it, it's literally impossible to have a career. Yeah. yeah, well, it's just a lot of juggling, isn't it? It's a lot yeah. of things in the yeah. air at the same time. Yeah. But And you prioritize, you have to, you yeah. know, at, at a certain period, you start saying, no, 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 this is, you know, the, my priority is this and, and I have to. I must say I learned along the line and it wasn't always perfect, but life teaches you and... and Oh, oh, absolutely. And also another thing that we have to, I think, uh, one has to understand or, or, or learn after a while is that, you know, people will judge you no matter what you do. People will judge you if you don't look after your children. People will judge you if you look too much after your children. So I think one thing that we have to learn is to stop worrying about what other people think too much. Yeah, you know, I mean, in the Middle East, uh, I'm sure, you know, I'm uh, I'm researching a book about Saudi women. And, and one of the things that really struck me is the role of society, adat wa taqalid in Arabic, meaning the, you know, uh, customs and, and social norms. And for me growing up, um, I never respected them. I never cared what people said. I just did whatever I thought was right. And, and in a way, I was a rebel that, I mean, my marriage alone was a rebellion at that time. And, and I'm not sure my father appreciated it a lot. <laughs> but, you know, he respected my choice and, and he, he had learned to live with it. And I, I hate hypocrisy. There is no need for me to have this religious marriage if I don't believe in, in these customs. So, no, we, we do have it in our part of the world. I think in every part of the world, maybe more accentuated in the Middle East and Arab world and less so in England or Sweden or Norway or Switzerland. Mm -hmm. But yes, I understand. And of course, there are some things that are hard to change. I mean, you mentioned Saudi Arabia. You're writing a book about that at the moment, you told me. And yeah. uh, you're talking to women yeah, I, I talked to about 2,000, so far 2,280 women. Mm -hmm. and, and these women are a cross-section of society. So from wives of 
kings, to daughters of kings, to uh, ladies who are cleaning the floors, to doctors, to engineers. One of the the, the thrills of of this book as, as well is I started my research about three years ago when uh, a lot of the rights of the woman, it was work in progress, but there hadn't really been a lot in the open. Uh, people were still discussing women driving or not driving, which mm. was not the important thing at all. But however, uh, it's it's unbelievable what, what they are doing now. But I, when I started my, my research, I started immediately feeling that all the stereotyping that has been in, in the world about Saudi women is absolutely rubbish. Oh, really? I, 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 yes. I mean, I was talking to some of the most powerful women I've ever met in my entire life. And, and a lot of them were businesswomen. You know, a lot of them were, were as I said, uh, wives or, or daughters of kings that had influence on their father, the king, and the mother, how they talk. Also, uh, the way, it's like every every household where women who are intelligent, well-educated, share the power with the man. It doesn't, mm-hmm. You don't have to be more powerful or he's more powerful. It's, it's a one life. And in it, you go together. Of course, there are variations, and the variations are very much those of products of of status and society and education and money, etc. But in general, the educated women I, I met were just unbelievably amazing. And of course, what helped change the society a lot was sending women to study abroad, and and that that really did a lot of it. But but now today, Saudi women, they're pilots. They're, they're, I, I met a woman in. Engineer and the underground working next to men, normal with, with absolute no issues at all. So it's uh, seriously uh, a work in progress, but so is uh, status of women in many of the Arab countries. But Saudi women are not walking, they're running. That's fantastic. That's good to know. But, you know, we are talking about these areas of the world, but there are many other areas of the developed world where women are not financially free, where women are not treated. Yes, the right. of course. So, yeah, you know, that's not just one. And we always talk, you know, people talk about the same things, but there are many, many other Look places. at women in Japan. Look at women in Japan. Japan is, is uh, uh, economically uh, amongst the first countries in, in, in the world. Uh, but, but I don't know why people think of, of this because of propaganda and because the Saudis really didn't know how to, to, how to change that. And the woman did not speak at, at, at yeah. the beginning. Uh, it was mostly Saudi Saudi women. Well, if you look, if you compare Saudi women, for example, and Afghani women, or how women are treated in India and raped and etc. And this is not uh, 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 these behaviors don't have a religion. It's not only in Islam. It's in in in, in Hindu in every sector yeah. of society. But yeah. it's got to do with education, doesn't it? It's got to do with the more educated women will get, the less the more they will have the opportunity to earn their own money, and the more they will be free and the more the, le- the, the the more respect they will have i believe i i believe that the the the, the way to freedom for women around the world is their economic independence yeah and you cannot have real good economic and and you know substantial economic independence unless you have some kind of education or a 
a career. Maybe maybe you don't want to be uh, to go to university, but you could be uh, uh, you know anything. You can be a carpenter. You can be absolutely. A you can be yeah. anything and earn a lot of money. <laughs> so uh, I agree with you. Economy economic independence yeah. is is definitely one of the main keys, and also it's women's state of mind because we women we bring up the boys and and girls. They've you know since they're in our tummies we. Still start feeling, treating them almost differently, the boys and the girls in many parts of the world. I'm I'm so lucky that I have two boys and two girls, but I, I cannot tell you, uh, you know, I, I believe girls can reach the sky and, and we should stop about this uh, competition, uh, girls and boys and they are, this one is better and this one is, 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 is worse. We together can make it and if we don't do that, then there is no development around the world. The world cannot be in the right direction. Yeah, and, and we, we, the woman, can make it. Nobody's going to do it for us. Yeah. We have to earn the respect. Yeah, that is so true. And I mean, it's together that we move forward. And as you say, every it's a mindset. Nobody is going to do anything for you. You know, as long as you live on the passenger seat of life, you have to get to the driver's seat and decide where you want to go. Absolutely. Totally, totally yeah. true. So yeah. I've got just a couple of last things that I, what is your favorite place in the world, Baria? I tell you, I I love Italy and I love Rome, and so now I uh, because I go a lot. Uh, uh, you know, my my daughter has a house in Como, mm-hmm. and I go a lot there, and I love it. I just I I find the Italian people, the Italian tradition, the Italy. Although we lived four years in Paris, I I, I love Paris. Uh, Paris. Uh, from a fashion point of view, but I I like the Provence. I like uh, more uh, outside uh, Paris. The French can be a little bit uh, nervous, and, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I love Italian food as well, and uh-huh. fashion and Italian singing. And fancy you have there Pocelli, you have uh, all those amazing people uh, there. It, Italy is very special, and it's a very beautiful country as well. It reminds me of Lebanon. It is. I agree with you. And I mean, Italy is so diverse. The North is so different from the South. And and I totally agree with you because, you know, I was just thinking now that we have to do all these interviews on Zoom. I would have preferred to sit with you on Lake Como somewhere and have a (laughs) cup of tea and do this interview. But it's not possible. We are coming to the end. I could talk to you forever. Thank you so much. I really, really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to speak to me. And uh, I, I wish to- you every luck. What you're doing is pretty amazing. I salute you for that. I wish you health and to your family, to your beautiful children and grandchildren, all the best. And I really hope to see you here in Cyprus again. I hope so. I hope so. I understand creative women are are discussing holding another conference. So my dear Olga will, I'm sure, invite me and I will definitely come to see you and to see everyone. And I really look forward to seeing you there, wherever it is. Thank you so much. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.
If you like what you hear and want to know more, check out my Soul Guru Lifestyle program on my website, www.thesoulguru.com. Sorry, that's, that's, forget this.